We want to welcome our listeners to the fourth episode of Minority Report with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we're going to talk with real operators and leaders in digital media and learn about their lived experiences. Today, we're lucky we've got Rich Sobel. Many of you listening may know Rich from his career with great companies like Publicis Media, Pubmatic, and Time Inc. He's a leader in our space, sharing perspectives from the buy side, technology, and publisher. Let's jump in and get to know Rich. Rich, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Excellent. Fantastic. We're, we're, we're lucky. We're excited to have you here. Uh, excited tell, to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Tell us a little bit about what you're currently up to and a little bit about your professional history. Sure. So uh, right now I am consulting uh, independently and uh, I have a number of clients on the marketing and technology side who are using my uh, knowledge and experience to solve some business challenges um, as they change and grow their business. Uh, my career is an interesting story. I didn't start in advertising or marketing. I started in HR. Uh, my first job, my first professional job, uh, was an internship after my freshman year in college because I decided I didn't want to go home for the summer. And uh, it was working for a... Uh, state version of the EEOC in Massachusetts, the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination, and uh, spent the summer investigating employment discrimination complaints. Uh, from there, it was actually a very um, great experience to the point where I actually ended up being a part-time employee there for the rest of my uh, three years in, in school. Uh, so that was an interesting experience. Um, I have all sorts of wonderful stories about uh, what people think is discrimination and actually horrible things that I saw were, which, which were discriminatory. Uh, so, you know, very interesting kind of preliminary investigative um, role. Uh, from there, uh, I moved back to the New York area. Um, so I grew up in the Hudson Valley and moved back to my folks after college, as most folks do, as most people do. And... Uh, got a job on Wall Street working uh, for a very large bank uh, doing diversity an analytics and spent some time uh, working through reporting and compliance analysis and got a good understanding of, at the time it was PeopleSoft, now it's an Oracle platform, uh, and so spent time with PeopleSoft uh, as, thing, as things do and uh, the company merged with another, and HR is one of those things that you don't need two of. So uh, off on my career I went. Uh, I then worked for uh, Kaplan Inc. Or actually, sorry, I worked for Walt Disney uh, Company uh, for the what was then known as the Go Network, which became Walt Disney Internet Group. Um, some wonderful stories about the original ad campaign for that, for that business. Um, it was originally a great idea. They decided to bring all of the assets of Disney under one uh, parent umbrella and operate a portal in competition with Yahoo and AOL. The challenge was they didn't actually think through what it meant to actually have that. So they migrated things like ABC, ABC News, ESPN, all the Disney properties, the store, the travel. Um, they had acquired um, a couple of uh, other uh, sites and, and technologies, and then they acquired um, the InfoSeq uh, uh, search engine, which anyone who's been around long enough remembers that they were one of the good search engines um, during the Yahoo competitive days before Google showed up. Uh, and so 
with the merging of that technology company and Disney, it ended up uh, being a little combustible. Uh, and so they decided to send the brands back to their parent companies um, and moved right along. So when I was there, I was doing, um, I helped them implement their PeopleSoft system um, and did a lot of analytics and reporting on what was happening from an employee perspective. Uh, so from there, I left as everything was kind of falling apart and went to um, Kaplan Inc., which was, part, which was at the time part of the Washington Post company. Um, yeah, very successful. I was there for the boom, uh, where you know everyone was going back to school for everything, um, and it was a great job. I was overseeing their HR systems and uh, some of the records and compliance. Uh, from there, I started to get tired of maintaining a system, and so uh, I made a career jump to Time Inc., where I was leading a lot of business improvement projects for HR. So I helped them bring a compensation planning tool, uh, organizational development uh, solutions, and then uh, a reduction in force uh, tool as the company went from, I think it was close to 20,000 people when I started to close to 10 when I left um, seven years later. So they had a lot of downsizing to do as print companies had to do, unfortunately. Um, and so we needed a solution to actually figure that out. And that wasn't something that there was third-party software available for, so we had to design it and build it ourselves. What was exciting about the Time Inc. role was solving problems through technology and data uh, and really addressing challenges in the business and finding ways of addressing them that hadn't existed before, um, either externally or internally, and really having to sell through the project and working with a large cross-functional team uh, and just working with a lot of different types of, of challenges. Uh, I also took on some organizational development responsibilities in terms of succession planning and some um, organizational design challenges, um, which kind of went hand in hand with the, the tools. Uh, I got to the point, though, where I was tired of HR as my subject matter. So I loved solving problems for the business, but HR wasn't really doing it for me anymore. And so I reached out to the president of digital um, and said, hey, I, it, this was in 2009 and said, you know, right as digital was really starting to mainstream, I think, from an ad and technology perspective. Um, and it was right at the time that programmatic was showing up. And I went to the head of digital and I was like, hey, I kind of want to transition my career. Do you think you could use a temp part time who has, you know, more than a dozen years of technology and data experience, but has very little advertising experience? And programmatic was the perfect opportunity for that. Uh, and so um, I give a lot of credit to Kirk McDonald, who's now at AT&T, and Jason Kelly, um, who has had a very storied career as well, uh, for giving me an opportunity and taking a chance on someone who didn't have relevant experience but had you know, more than 10 years of, ex of work experience. And so um, it was great. It was really wonderful. I worked basically unpaid part-time in addition to doing my full-time HR job. That part's not fantastic. Well, it was, <laughs> it, it was something that the head of HR was actually very good about. Like, there were other people in the HR department who, from a transition perspective, or from a career perspective, were able to transition to other things because they could take on other areas of responsibility. And so um, I made the transition at time, uh, working, and then they hired me over because things worked out really well. Uh, and then I worked on a number of programmatic pr uh, projects, and I spent the summer of 2010 running around the Time in Life building mm -hmm. explaining... RTB and programmatic 
um, even though it wasn't really called programmatic at the time, right. um, to all of the um, digital leaders within the business. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was a lot of, it was a very interesting time. It was also a very interesting time for Time Inc. Um, as they transitioned to multiple CEOs in the course of a year. Uh, and so there were a lot, there were a lot of weird things that went on and, uh, I left there, uh, and, uh, made my way to Pubmatic. And so, which is where I met both of you guys. Uh, so for Pubmatic, I joined initially as kind of the voice of the customer and, uh, led product marketing, helped rethink the story and the tools and kind of how they were applicable to publishers. Uh, and so I led that transformation, um, in partnership with the CMO and, it got to the point where I ended up having to go in and explain how some of the tools needed to be used and spent a lot of time talking to publishers about how to actually operate programmatic. So from there, it kind of made sense for me to take on the publisher account team because I was kind of involved with enough of the large publishers anyway. Um, and my time at Time Inc., where I was in the corporate sales team, I was trained on formal sales management. So. Um, very structured approach to sales and call reports and projected to completion and all of that wonderful um, sales ops stuff that most people hate, um, but ops people love. Uh, and so, you know, I took over the publisher account team as well as building out a consulting practice. And um, the company strangely never had a sales engineering arm um, or a technical account management arm. And so we built that out as well uh, as kind of a services support for the businesses it was growing and growing. Um, and it was great. I had a, a really fun time working with the publishers, addressing challenges. Um, I got a very good taste for consulting there in terms of just going in and just saying, what problems do you need solved? And whether they chose to implement the solutions I offered or not wasn't really my problem. Um, unfortunately, Ernie. <laughs> um, you know, it, 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 with being a consultant, you kind of have to remove yourself and your ego from that part of it. Right. Um, and so at Pubmatic, I, I got a great call from, at the time it was Viviki, and which was the trading desk of Publicis, uh, the Publicis Group. Uh, and uh, they were in the process of decentralizing their trading operations and sending the buying, the actual programmatic buying, back to the agencies. So Starcom took theirs, MediaVest, Spark, uh, Zenith, so on and so forth. Uh, and so what they needed at the center was someone who could uh, help with the technology partnerships and work through the capabilities in a way that was basically like a menu for, um, for, the, for the agencies to actually how they sold in the capabilities for their clients. And so it was a great time. I had a wonderful two and a half years there. Um, eventually, Publicis went through um, several reorgs, uh, as the agency or uh, businesses are want to do. And... Uh, I left two really strong teams um, who are continuing to do great work. Nice, nice. That's that awesome recap of your <laughs> long. Your, yes, but, but awesome detailed. though. Yes, yes, very much so. So um, I, I always say that one of the reasons why I enjoy doing this podcast is because I get to learn uh, interesting and new things about people that I've known for a while, but that I that I didn't know. So uh, the whole HR uh, compliance piece. Uh, didn't know that about you. Very interesting. Uh, one question there, though, um, from from that perspective, starting early in your career, being in human resources and being a part of compliance teams, what's what's sort of one thing that you learned from a, a, a diversity uh, perspective all those years? I learned that diversity is not one dimensional, right? There are different 
angles to diversity. I mean, part of the, so I mentioned that I grew up in Hudson Valley, but I grew up in a, in a city called Newburgh, which is not um, what you think of when you think of the, the, um, the idyllic Hudson Valley. Um, it has uh, a lot of rural, poor areas. It's got a very urban, poor area. Mm. Um, and then you've got some affluent and some middle-class areas as well, kind of all mushed together in one giant school district. And so my entire school district was magnetized. So I grew up expecting diversity. And so mm. when I went away to college, I was kind of thrown for mm. um, a, a how uh, unbalanced it was. So, um, you know, as a child, from a diversity perspective, you, ex you accept, well, from every perspective, you accept the world as it's presented to you. Right. And so, you know, the world that was presented to me was a very diverse world. Mm. And so, um, you know, moving into corporate, having the experience, the, the shell shock in college, moving into the, the corporate role, um, you know, I, understanding the dimensionality of it and the intersectionality of it was very much, um, you know, the, the form, the formality behind those things, I think is what I learned the most early on. Okay. Yeah. You know, th those are great points. And, and, you know, it's interesting as, as you were describing, you know, um, how you moved into digital and even working through all the different companies, uh, I think it's tremendous, like the teaching elements that are required there and, those aren't easy to do, you know, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm curious about like how um, you developed, you know, those abilities and, and, um, and, and those skills, you know, sometimes we learn them from others, sometimes they may come from mentors or people we've worked with. Where did you draw sort of the, the, that inspiration and those abilities? Um, so different things came from different places. Some things, you know, from an analytic perspective, like I'm just, I'm the type of person who has always been, what's the problem? Right, and figuring out what the core problem is. I've always enjoyed working in kind of the blank space, um, working with the, the empty whiteboard. Um, so that's always been, some, that's always been something that's just innate in me. Uh, from a skill set perspective, I did take some training early on in terms of project management, problem solving, um, very early on. And later on, I took uh, a formal training from a, a sales management perspective. Uh, but the actual industry itself, I learned by talking to people. And so the best thing that um, my executives did for me was say, was gave me a corporate card and told me to go to events, meet people, talk to people. You know, there were and still are um, publication, digital publications and pr printed publications that cover this topic, but nothing beats a conversation. Right. Um, yeah. You know, and I think that te that's testament. I mean, the three of us have all had, had multiple conversations where what's written has to be so deeply manicured for publication. And the conversations that you have in this industry is not a well-manicured industry. It just doesn't work that way. The speed of it, um, the innovation of it, the constant change, can't wait for the printed word. Right. Yeah. How do you feel about the overall sort of social atmosphere? You know, it's interesting. So <laughs> I, was, I made a joke before we started recording, like I'm the white guy on the phone, on, on the podcast, <laughs> on the diversity podcast. Um, and so, you know, one thing people may or may not know about me is I am openly gay and have been out um, since I was in college, which was the reason that I didn't want to go home uh, <laughs> after freshman year. Uh, and so, um, you know, coming into the industry late and being out and not, uh, the, the industry was a little bit of a shock for me. Um, there was a very, you know, fraternal experience, um, and having not been a part of that at all in my career prior, I didn't really know how to adjust to it. Um, you know, it was, it's been very interesting kind of sitting on the three different sides of the industry. Um, 
on the publisher side, you know, it wasn't as big of an issue because I was a publisher and I, and people just gave you, you know, from an ad tech perspective, they just gave you open doors mm -hmm. on the, on the vendor side, uh, on the, you know, the, the, the technology side, it was, it was a little awkward because I'm not particularly bro -y. And from a, a social engagement and entertainment perspective, I had to figure out how to play in that space, right? Like there were things that I was comfortable doing and there were things that I wasn't like, I wasn't going to go to, um, to like a rock concert. Mm -hmm. It's not for me. Um, I, you know, there, you know, Pubmatic had some C, some executives who really liked cars. I don't really drive. It's got nothing to do with being gay. I just don't really drive. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say, right? The the rock concert or the cars doesn't really well, have much to do. You know, from being... a from a cultural taste standpoint, I think the rock concert, like I'm not particularly comfortable in that type of, of like environment. Okay. Um, you know, the the broy frat like environment is just yeah, not yeah, something yeah. that I've ever really been comfortable in, mm -hmm. and so figuring out how to operate socially in the space and gain the relationships I have, um, you know, you just kind of have to figure your way through it. It's mm -hmm. not the, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because I was thinking about this in, in preparation for the podcast, right? I came out at a time in between the AIDS crisis, meaning death for, for gay men mm. and pre Ellen and Will and Grace. Mm. And so, you know, part of what's interesting from a diversity perspective um, for the LGBTQA community, LGBTQIA community, um, is, you know, part of the challenge in coming out is moving past social expectations of who you are, of who you're supposed to be mm -hmm. into who you actually are. Mm. And then from a corporate, from a corporate business perspective, you then have to still, then you have to tailor it again. Um, so, you know, I'm someone who has to come out on a regular basis and I have to think about how to do that in certain circumstances. There have been clients that I had at Pomatic and clients that I had at Publicis Media who I couldn't work on their business. Mm. They were virulently homophobic in their policies and in their corporate positioning. And I had to find alternative ways of servicing their business because I couldn't work on it. How, how do you, so something like that, right? How do you address that internally with the company that you work for, right? Because they've got, you know, your, your boss, the execs at, uh, you know, the company you work for, they have, they've hired you for a reason, right? Yep. For your skills, your expertise, and want you to accomplish certain goals. But then when you see a particular roadblock that you're just not going to be able to get over, no fault of your own, right? How, how is that? How do you go about addressing that? Part of that is making sure that I have a proxy. Okay. So someone who I trust on my team, um, and I've been blessed with outstanding talent on all the teams that I've put together, mm -hmm. um, the teams that I've taken over and, and, and assembled. Um, and so finding someone who can cover the things I can cover, but I'm not going into the client meeting, and I've been upfront about that with, with multiple executives. Mm -hmm. And you get support from the yeah. execs? Okay, awesome. Yeah, I mean, look, I understand, like, they have a business to run. Right. Um, they, I'm part of a company that has a business to run. I understand, respect that, and, you know, it, LGBT rights are in a, in a weird position because they're not guaranteed by law federally. Mm. Um, and there are a lot of states that don't have, that actually have anti-regulations uh, on the books. Um, a lot of the civil rights that I have are not protected by law. They're protected by court decisions, which makes me very nervous. Um, but that's, you know, you have to be comfortable to have that conversation with your executives. I mean, that's, 
I think that was something else I learned from a, in the, working on the HR side is mm -hmm. you have to talk about the things that make you uncomfortable. Right. Like you right. have to address it because otherwise you can't solve the problem and you right. can't address it. And then it festers. You just hit on one of the main reasons why we're doing this podcast. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and it, you know, it's interesting. We talked earlier too um, about specifics sometimes, right? And then there are things that people um, understand on the surface and then you can dive a little bit deeper and, and uh, one of the things you pointed out that was interesting was sort of around code switching. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, this relates a little bit to what I said about uh, having to constantly come out and, you know, the, the focus of, um, you know, when, you're, when you come out, it is about who you are and then mm -hmm. having to take some of that back. It's not unlike code switching for people of color, but the difference, I, I would say, is the behaviors aren't as taught, right? Like I, no one sat down with me and said, this is how, the talk. No one had the talk with me about mm. how to behave as a, as a gay man in a straight world. Right. Like I right. had to figure that out and I had to find resources on my own to do that. Yeah. And that all comes in an as an adult. So you don't grow up with that experience. Um, and so having to navigate that, um, you know, there are times when I get a little drunk and get a little queenie. And I get worried about that sometimes, um, depending on where I am. And that's, you know, not unlike other communities within that have similar concerns, but it represent it presents itself right. differently. Yeah. Like it's not comparable and it's, it can't, they can't be compared to each other. When I talked about the dimensionality of diversity, you can't equate gender with race with sexuality right. like you can't right. they're right. not right. comparable right because they present themselves in different ways absolutely and they have there's some correlations but the experiences are so fundamentally different mm -hmm. that to tr to try to say that they're the same and this happens a lot um is unfair to any of the sides yeah it it pisses me off when i hear that yeah it's just not it's not equitable right yeah. like you know, I'm a white guy. I don't, I, there are things that I'm able to get away with. Um, but that's, you know, that's the world we live in. And while mm -hmm. I try to be as aware as possible, like mm -hmm. there are things I'm not aware of because I'm a white guy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and, and as straight guys, you have the same thing about from a sexuality perspective, you know, from an ide sexual identity perspective, like it's not the same. Like there are things and assumptions that you have that you just, because that's how you, that's the world that was presented to you. All right. Right, right, right. So you've been in you've been in the space how many years now? Uh, so we are coming up on nine. Nine years. Okay, okay. So long time. So obviously there there are a few things about this space that that you <laughs> like. Um, uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Like, what excites you about the future of our space, either from a technology standpoint or even from a social diversity standpoint? I love change. Um, I'm rare in that regard, but I like, I like evolution. I like how things improve. I like all of the problems that continue to present themselves. And so this industry has no shortage of problems. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, <laughs> one of the things that I would always say when I was at Publicis Media was, you know, the technology vendors really had a hard time being B plus because A was impossible. The pace of innovation is just unfair. It's insane. It, insane. It's unfair. Like it's unreasonable yeah. to assume that everyone can keep up with everything. Mm -hmm. Even the best players in the space struggle. Mm -hmm. And so that 
presents challenges from a, a client perspective, from a marketer perspective, from a publisher perspective, like how you actually use technology that just is never going to get there because it can't. Um, and it's no fault of the, the technology companies. It, that's just the, the pace of requirement is so aggressive yeah. because there's constant business problems that need to be solved. And you're constantly dealing with, um, you're constantly dealing with change, right? And the balance between short-term solutions and long-term solutions, we all have lived with it. It's not an easy divide. And so you kind of have to make decisions about what you solve short-term and what you solve long-term. And right. so I love that. And that's actually one of the things as I was having conversations when I left Publicis about going somewhere else full time, there were all sorts of projects that were interesting. Um, and I had a really interesting take on a number of them, but at the end of the day, I just wanted to solve problems right. um, and, and kind of figure out how to, how to help people solve their challenges. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because all, half of my interviews ended up being, well, let's think about how this would actually work and you know, not, and, and it got to the point where they would be like, I would be threatening to them. Mm. And you know, I didn't really want their, in most cases, didn't want their job. So like, we would take the job off the table and start to have the conversation about what to actually do and solve the, solve the problem. Gotcha. Um, and so that happened um, more than half a dozen times. Mm. So um, that's where the idea for just setting up as a consultant came from. Came from, yeah, okay, cool. How, how, do, you, um, how do you balance your personal life from your professional life? Is there such a thing? <laughs> <laughs> this is the hardest question. Is there such a thing? <laughs> Um, you know, one of the things, <laughs> no, I, and, and I, the reason why I ask it that way, right. Is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm married. I've got two young girls at home as, as you guys know, uh, I spend, and you guys do the same thing, right? You spend the majority of your time with your coworkers, right? Uh, but yet at the same time, I've got to make sure that, uh, I, I'm 15 years into my marriage. I got to make sure that I, I make another a clear 15 block, years. Right? A clear wall and and listen, my, my little girls are, are the most important thing to me in the world. So I got to make sure I bring them up the right way. So like there, there has to be some sort of a balance, right? Yeah, I have a very different challenge. I'm single. Yes. So like, <laughs> um, and while I, you know, I'm not necessarily in it for a husband and kids, um, I would say no, but that's not really, you know, the hunt for, but having time to be social and, um, you know, one of the things that the, you know, the, the community has often talked about is family is different mm -hmm. and definitions of family are, are unique. So, um, yeah, having, having social time. I mean, I see a lot of theater. I go to the opera. Um, you know, I went to Joan Elmo concert last week. Um, you know, I do these things and I do them with large groups of people. Um, so it's great. Awesome. So, awesome. you know, yeah. It's with anything. You have to you have to know when to when to put the phone down. Yes. <laughs> as as a as I look at my phone. <laughs> well, you're looking at your notes, hopefully. Yes. yes um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it, you know, we all want to put our phone down. Right. No, I you know I, I love uh, and I wanted you to touch on this for a second because I think it's amazing. You know, talk about how you feel diversity is sort of a great parallel for programmatic. I'd love to hear that because we talked about that earlier. Yeah, that's um, that's one of my theses is, um, you know, programmatic is something that people talk about a lot and they don't necessarily execute with um, the depth and nuance that's actually required to be successful. Mm -hmm. And I would say a lot of people do the same thing with diversity. They talk about it. They know they need to address it. 
but they don't necessarily understand or take the time to understand what it actually means to have a diverse business. Right. So true. So true. So with those great insights. Well, uh, sorry, know. let me let me let me just jump in yeah. one more question there. Um so I, I was listening to a podcast coming in this morning and um I forgot who who the person was, but they they made a comment that um when it comes to diversity, right? They were talking about diversity in hiring uh people of diverse backgrounds and the comment was Hiring managers are not trying to maximize value. They're trying to minimize risk, right? And so uh, I'm, I'm curious to kind of get your take, one, on that, that comment. And do you think that that is a hurdle that, like, hiring managers have to get over in terms of thinking that just because you hire someone that may not be your friend or didn't come from a reference of your friend and has a completely different background that you have, like that shouldn't necessarily be perceived as a risk. Yeah, I mean, I think this goes back with the social atmosphere. There's, there are clicks, right? And mm -hmm. there are companies in the industry who only hire people of a certain type mm -hmm. and hire of a certain background. And it's similar to my philosophy on change. Like you have to treat it empirically and not emotionally. You have to lean into um, having diverse experiences. I mean, for someone like me who deals with problem solving, you know, the having different experiences is essential to actually addressing problems, mm. right? Like I under, to me the the greater challenge is when you're running 150 people who are doing essentially the same thing, right. like, right. you know, ad operations, um, media activation, um, media account management, like those things are harder to break the expectations, but it's also, you know, you have to hire talent, right? Right. You know, there's, um, you know, there's a saying in, in sports, when you're drafting talent, you draft for position or you draft for skill. Right. Right. I'm a believer that you draft for skill. You don't, you don't hire for a specific position. You hire the best talent and you figure out how to tailor the responsibilities and the outstanding deliverables you have mm -hmm. against the talent that you have because and it's actually teach people stars. stuff right? absolutely right. you know you have to invest in development like no 24 year old or 27 year old is going to be exactly where they need to be i'm in my 40s I'm not exactly where i need to be mm -hmm. right like there's always going to be learning and growth and you have to expect it um and you you know part of this is my hr and my, my hr background and my, yeah. my od experience <laughs> like you know you have to you have to treat your hiring decisions and your organizational decisions as equally important as how you run your PL. I think that's great. I mean, uh, so obviously we're seeing where so much of that can come into play, and that's extremely valuable. Um, how would you advise anyone, you know, trying to come into the space? Because what you're really sharing with us is, you know, how can organizations, you know, do better and like what you've experienced, and that's tremendous. I also think that translates into how can we advise folks who are trying to move into the space? Right. You know, so what, what sort of tips and advice would you be able to deliver to those folks? I would find a buddy and have that buddy go to events to go to events with. And those events don't need to be paid events. Um, or they can be cheap events because some of the events in our space are extremely expensive. Um, so there's a lot that you can, you know, find people to talk to. Um, have coffees, have drinks, 
it is still a social business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, it's been that way for 70 years. Like the, you know, we aren't having three martini lunches anymore, but we're still having, <laughs> you know, we're still having, you know, social interactions to run the business. Like it is one of the things that you have to do. You have to get along with people and you have to, um, you have to be able to, you have to be able to talk to people you wouldn't necessarily talk to. Um, and as someone who is generally an introvert, that's a challenge for me personally, but you know, you have to do it and you find people, you find your tribe, right? Like you find your people who you're comfortable with and it takes time and there's some trial and error, like any other social aspect. And you have to treat it as something that you do. Like it's like you go to college, you have the same problem. You go to, um, you move into a neighborhood, you have the same problem. Mm -hmm. Although if you move into a neighborhood in New York, you don't find anyone around you. Um, So, you know, you just have to treat it as as this in in the same way and not be intimidated by it, um, which is hard, admittedly hard. It's amazing how how much it keeps sort of circling back to being able to be face-to-face. Yep. You know, so this is a common theme we hear with all of our guests. Mm-hmm. It's just this uh, ability to to somehow be able to tap into that, and and, and that's that's fantastic. Well, we are in a communications industry yeah. at the end of the day, right? Like, for all of the work that we do on our computers and all of the things that we do in Excel and all of the things that we do on the web, it is still a communications business and still, a, a, you know, about consumers engaging with brands and consumers engaging with content. And consumers are engaging in experiences, and that is no different than, you know, what we have to do from a person from a people perspective. Excellent. Uh, how are you staying then on top of what's going on, right? So, you know, like, what are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you watching that sort of helps you stay informed? You know, how are you spending your time? Because that's precious time, right? What we found is if you're not grinding at work and doing all those mm-hmm. things, when you have those moments where you're trying to take all of that in and then figure out if it makes sense for you to use or not. What are you spending your time consuming? Yeah, I have um, probably somewhere between 12 and 15 email newsletters that I'm getting from different sites. You know, you've got Ad Exchanger, Digiday, Recode, so on and so forth. So, I mean, all the usual suspects. Um, you know, and then I just make sure that even though I'm on my own as a consultant, I make sure that I stay in touch with people and I meet up with people doesn't need to be for drinks, it doesn't need to be for lunch, but I made it, make sure I meet up with people. Mm-hmm. Um, check in with what's going on, you know, part of it is a social connection, but then it's also what's going on in your business. Yeah, we've heard that a lot too. It's a lot of people connections, and it's quite honestly, thank you for your honesty about, it's a lot of consumption. It's not two things, Right. it's not three things, Right. it's 10 things, it's 12 things, and yeah. being okay with that. I mean, and, I, I've got newsletters, I've got Slack channels, I've got text message threads, I've got WhatsApp communities I'm in. Rich, you and I meet probably once a quarter for a drink to catch up. It's, it is, it's multiple things. And I think the theme there is, right, like, if you really want to be successful, if you really want to be a leader, it takes effort. You got to put in the time. Yeah. You don't get, you know, part of the story of diversity is that you earn, everyone earns a position. Everyone earns their growth. Um, regardless of where of what your your background is. Gotcha. So let's let's uh, play a little fun game here and find <laughs> out more about your personality and and uh, how you stay productive. So give us uh, give us three apps that are on your phone outside of Outlook and uh, Calendar that you use. 
Uh, Your favorite app. Sure. So uh, <laughs> Spotify is my, because I'm on Android, I don't have the, the Apple Music stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so Spotify is my primary music uh, uh, environment. And then, and as well as podcasts. Um, you guys are not on Spotify podcasts. Working on it. They're working yet, on it. Yes, yes, <laughs> I know. I looked, at the, I looked at the requirements for actually what it takes to get, because, you know, when you told me you were doing this, I was like, they're not on Spotify. Yeah. Why? What's the problem with Spotify? And then I looked at what it takes to actually get on there. Yeah. So I uh, we're, we're sticking to uh, SoundCloud and, yeah. and iTunes for now. Yep. <laughs> um, so Spotify, uh, Evernote. Me I too. do all of my note taking <laughs> for all of my meetings, for all of my clients. I do all of my personal stuff on there. Um, Everything. Uh, so Evernote, uh, and then um, third app that I use a lot would probably be Google Maps. Okay. Cause gotta I know where in, you're I going. I live in New York, and you gotta, you know, I live in Manhattan. I'm always going somewhere. I have to figure yeah. out where the hell I'm going and how to get there. <laughs> well, listen. Thank you so much for finding some time to actually end up here, and we're <laughs> grateful. Now, everyone uh, listening, thank you so much for 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 listening and. Uh, Rich, obviously, uh, Rich is open to being able to continue this discussion, actually. Yeah. Uh, Rich's last name is Sobel, S-O-B-E-L, and you can yeah. find him on LinkedIn. And Rich, thank you so much for being a tremendous guest. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for uh, being able to share a lot of your experience with us. We're grateful. You're, right. you're welcome. And, uh, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you I have a Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is Sobel, at Sobel Says. Um, and it definitely is uh, in the vein of everything that can possibly come out of my mouth. <laughs> so thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. All right.